Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. So I'd like to, we, we have a little pitch here from uh, Regina Clulo and uh, Regina founded Populous about, I believe about a year ago. Um, before that, she was, uh, worked for a number of Bay Area transportation companies. So a number similar to Therese grappling with one of these wicked problems our region has. Uh, PhD from MIT, but also spent some time at Berkeley, uh, and got her bachelor's degree from Cornell. So without further ado, uh, Regina. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Billy. Um, so I have an interesting background as an entrepreneur. I've actually spent most of my life working at nonprofits and for public sector agencies and in academia. Um, and I moved back out to the Bay Area. I'm originally a Bay Area native um, to work on transportation problems. I did my PhD at MIT in transportation planning. And then when I moved back out here, um, my role was to help the Bay Area Regional Planning Agency forecast the next 30 years of travel. Um, and at that time, there was this little new service that had arrived, um, Uber and Lyft, and a lot of public agencies weren't really taking them very seriously. Um, my theory is that Uber um, had just transitioned from Uber Cab and a private black car service into something that was a little bit different, uh, but more so Lyft had the absurd pink mustaches. And so when I was running around talking to public agencies um, while I was working um, on this MTC Bay Area forecast for the future of travel, um, most public agencies didn't really react um, to how those new services were changing people's transportation patterns. Fast forward um, another seven years, and we've seen a continued evolution of mobility services that have arrived in cities, and really very little information about how those services are being used and whether or not they're helping to meet public goals and how. And one of the big challenges is that without communication systems, coordination, and data between the public sector and the private sector and vice versa, many of these private mobility services are going to fail to deliver on their promises to cities um, to deliver and improve better transportation services. It's actually very similar to the very early days of commercial aviation. Private mobility services back then were moving faster than the public sector could manage, um, and we didn't actually create the FAA until planes were literally hitting each other and falling out of the sky. Um, and so what we're building at Populous is a platform that helps cities understand how new mobility services are being used in their cities um, to better coordinate with those operators, uh, to design and identify pickup and drop-off areas so they can optimize traffic flow, um, to dynamically price public space so that we can use it more efficiently and help achieve environmental goals, um, and then to also harness that data for short and long-range transportation plans. This is an example of one of our customers. Um, The county of Arlington in the D.C. area um, is using our platform to understand where scooters and bikes um, are being placed in the county and where they're being used so they can design better infrastructure. And I think one of the really exciting things about micromobility services is that they've offered this new opportunity for cities to justify reclaiming streets to move more pedestrians and active transportation. And it's an opportunity that it 
is is not to be missed. I mean, cities right now across the United States and really across the world are really thinking about how we allocate public space um, in a way that is more efficient, more equitable, um, and continues to improve the safety of our streets. Um, so Populous is a data platform that helps them achieve those goals. We have great relationships with the operators themselves as well as cities, um, and we're excited to help bridge the gap between private mobility innovation um, and how it can be used to improve urban transportation for all of us. So thank you so much. It's great to be here. All right, folks, thank you so much. Um, uh, our panel back in the back was is really like chattering. So uh, we're going to invite up uh, our next panel is really focused on some of the issues that Regina started to talk about. Um, and you'll notice that uh, the question we had up before, if we can cycle back to uh, some of our, our previous slides, was um, this idea of uh, how do we grapple with uh, the challenges? So I, to start us off, I just want to invite up uh, Molly Wood. So Molly, if you would come on up and you can uh, maybe introduce your panel and I'll, I'll give you a proper. So Molly, uh, if you haven't heard of her, she makes us all smarter. Uh, so Molly uh, does marketplace tech with American Public Media, American Public Media, and Sheik is going to introduce her illustrious panel. Kevin Peterson, who's CEO of Marble, you're going to explain to us. Stephen Hardy, CEO of My Sidewalk. Lenny Mendonca, Chief Economic and Business Advisor for Governor Newsom. And finally, Robert Grant, VP of Global and Government Affairs at Cruise Automation. Welcome, you guys. I'm going to start everyone off. I think this is going to be Maybe a tiny bit of therapy. I'm excited that we have technology and government on the stage together because I feel that there could be some bridge building <laughs> necessary. So don't worry about that, but get comfortable. Um, what I'm going to have each of you do, actually, other than our mayor, who doesn't need to tell us that much about what you do, but if you have any little insights, we'd love to hear them. I'd like each of you to tell us a little bit about what you're working on specifically and then answer this sort of starting question, which is the theme of this conference is Innovate for Good. So when I say for good, what comes to mind? Mayor Schaff, I'm going to start with you. I don't know. One, oh, good. We have, at least have two mics between five people. Um, so I'm the mayor of Oakland. I do everything between filling the pothole on your street, your specific street, to trying to address global warming, uh, often in the same five minutes. Um, and when I think about for good... You know, my my dream for Oakland, it's my hometown. It's where I was born and raised. And I also believe that it stands for values that are much bigger than just a place on a map. Um, I think about equity. I think about this idea that people should feel that their government makes society better and more fair. And I also think that for good means that every person should thrive. Every person should have the basic necessities, the basic human dignities, and um, we do have a lot of work to do. I'm Kevin Peterson. I um, built some of the first self-driving cars about 10 years ago. Uh, then I built Moonlanders, and then I decided to come back to Earth. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, now we're doing uh, delivery robots. And um, what I think about when I think about 
uh, innovating for good is a few things. One is saving people time, which we think builds communi community. Uh, so you spend about half of your time in cars running errands. If you could have that time back, could you spend more time with your family? Could you uh, meet your neighbors? And uh, I think that brings humanity. Uh, uh, the second is um, uh, safety. So how do we make vehicles that um, uh, improve accident rates and things like that? Um, Will you back up just one second and yeah. tell us what Marble does? Oh, yeah. Uh, so so Mar people Marble know the builds, vehicles you're talking about? Marble builds autonomous uh, self-driving uh, uh, delivery robots. So they drive on the sidewalk. They deliver from a store to your home, um, and they're on demand. Uh, hi, my name is Stephen Hardy. I'm the CEO of My Sidewalk. Uh, we're a data analytics company, but we work almost exclusively with public sector customers uh, and uh, city planners uh, by background largely. And I think for us, um, you know, the for good part of this, it's, I think Therese and Maurice both kind of nailed this, uh, you know, improving quality of life. Uh, is a big part of our mission. And what I loved about what Maurice was saying is that it's there's an imperative part of that. There's kind of a long-term for good. And when you're thinking about data patterns and making kind of structural changes, it's it's easy to kind of think about the long-term. But there's a, like, what do we do tomorrow? Uh, and so that's where uh, we're trying to really help cities think about the operational uh, improvements that they can make that will help improve uh, quality of life for residents. Great. Thank you. I'm uh, Lenny Mendoza. Uh, as of February, I'm Governor Gasman Newsom's Chief Economic and Business Advisor, which means I oversee an agency that's called the Office of Business and Economic Development. I'm the chair of the High-Speed Rail Agency and also uh, advise the governor on issues that are related to the economy and business more broadly. And as before that, I was at McKinsey for 30 years, so I think about this in both a public and, and private sector standpoint. But in my current role, uh, very similar to what the mayor said, is what I think about innovating for good is about making the California dream real for all Californians. And that's really our overarching agenda item, which is ensuring that we've got a, an inclusive economy that is inclusive in the sense that it works for everyone, not just the people who happen to be within a 45-minute driving distance of Sand Hill Road, but everyone, no matter where they are in the state of California. And that we grow the economy in a way that is both economically attractive and inclusive, but also much less carbon and much more attractive for the environment going forward. So that's what I think about what is it that we need to do to innovate for good from the state of California standpoint. Great. Thank you. Uh, my name is Robert Grant. Again, I'm, I'm here representing Cruise. Uh, at Cruise, we're building the world's most advanced self-driving vehicle. Um, we're out on the roads here in San Francisco testing every day with uh, two operators in the vehicle, uh, really gaining a lot of understanding about how these vehicles will operate in the real world safely. Um, we're an all-electric fleet, which um, we'll touch on some of the things that uh, I think about when I think about for good. So I think mainly about three things, which is safety, inclusivity, and longevity. And by safety, I mean bringing safety to our roads, where over 37,000 people die each year in motor vehicle accidents, almost 3,800 of them here in California each year. We think our vehicles can uh, make a big dent in that, and so we think that's something for good. Uh, inclusivity, I mean bringing more people uh, access to mobility, including those who have had uh, traditional issues with accessing transportation options, whether that's persons with disabilities, the elderly, or other folks, uh, folks that might live in transit uh, deserts. Uh, and then longevity. Uh, we want to build something that's lasting. I think it's, uh, you know, an accomplishment to have 10 of these vehicles out there. It makes a small dent. 
But when you have uh, a lot of these vehicles out there at scale and they're all electric, uh, that can make a long-standing change uh, with regards to carbon emissions, with regards to uh, how people move around, and really make a lasting impact over the long haul for, for lots of folks. So we don't have a ton of time, which means I have to go directly to tension. My apologies in advance. But we really do seem to be in this moment where technology has collided with civic life in a lot of different ways, whether that's elections, privacy, scooters, um, <laughs> you know, so you can, you're going to get, this is coming to you, Kevin. Um, <laughs> but so I think, you know, I, 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 and by the way, I know that there are not as, as many microphones as people, but please feel free to have a conversation and jump in on each other here. Um, I, I really wonder I'd like to get your take on on whether technology has moved too fast in California in particular. Do you feel that the the boundary pushing, the innovation part has created tension not just with policymakers but with consumers? Uh, I'll start on the other end, Robert. <laughs> so, do I think technology has moved too fast? Um, I think it's an interesting question. I think technology um, evolves at a rapid rate. I think it's always evolved at a rapid rate. Um, I think where we're seeing uh, things now is is the scale and reach and ubiquity of that technology, and we're seeing the kind of um, robust debate that I think needs to happen about what is the proper role of technology in daily life, um, who should be regulating that, what are the types of uh, actors that should be responsible uh, for ensuring that this is done in an appropriate and um, useful fashion for good, right? Um, I think when I think of other technology platforms, uh, they're going through a series of issues now that are both foreseen and unforeseen. I think that's part of where the friction is coming in is should they have been more forward-looking or looking at different things? When it comes to self-driving vehicles, I think uh, it is a little bit of a different beast only because the, the, the technology challenge behind getting these type of vehicles out there we refer it internally at Cruise as one of the, the greatest engineering challenges of our lifetime. Um, and so the, while we see a lot of rapid development in it, um, it's very difficult to get out there at the same kind of scale that raises some of the issues that are being addressed now. Uh, so, for instance, we've been testing here in San Francisco for, for four-plus years now. Um, we have, uh, you know, 100 and some plus vehicles uh, in our fleet and people see them. But um, that's not the same as a Facebook, which has grown to billions of users over the same time. So I think um, it's different depending on the platform. Um, but I do think these are good questions that, uh, at least for our space, we want to address ahead of time and, and have made an effort to work with, um, whether it's at the local, state or federal or international level, to address them. I mean, Mayor Schaff, should Kevin call you before he puts delivery robots on the streets in Oakland? <laughs> Potholes notwithstanding? Yes. Um, but, but let me just big picture kind of talk about what I hate about government and how uh, tech could actually help me accelerate what I love about government. Um, first of all, I think the examples that you just gave are things that should make you uh, appreciate the regulatory role that government plays. While it might irritate all you entrepreneurs, uh, I think we have ample examples about why it's necessary and for the greater good. But here's the thing that I hate about government. Government was actually designed to create stability and predictability. And that means that government was designed to not change quickly. 
And what I hate about that is that I represent an institution that has preserved barriers to opportunity, that continues to sustain institutionalized racism, uh, and that it is not changing quickly enough. And it was, by design, intended to be that way. And so where I see kind of the exciting intersection, and yes, technology can be irritating because without regulation, it tends to serve the wealthiest. It tends to get distracted by the next shiny new thing, as opposed to actually digging deep and thinking about how it really can be for good. But when we can step out of our respective silos and experiment together, do things that I can't do within government because government was intended to be adverse to risk-taking. So when we intentionally collaborate to do to try things, to take risks, to do things that are much more aggressive, much more ambitious, much more visionary than government is comfortable with, with the intention of taking what works and then scaling it and institutionalizing it within the public systems. I believe that is the only way we will change the world with any sort of speed or scale or significance. And and the world needs a lot of changing. I did not get into this job to preserve the status quo. I got into it to make the world a better place, starting with Oakland, California. But I believe that I can't do that without partnering with the private sector. And tech has been a pretty exciting, wild partner to work with. <laughs> you want to take that one, Kevin? Are you, uh, are you sure, calling? Sure. Did well, you get her number? <laughs> uh, we're, we're actually working with the Shared Mobility Group in Oakland right now. So... <laughs> I don't know if I could you directly, could. but um, <laughs> uh, we feel the same way. I think, um, you know, self-driving cars and the vehicles that we build are not an app on somebody's phone. And so when you're rolling out something that, uh, you know, uh, it's in the public space and it's operating right next to people, you need to do that responsibly. You need to do it safely and you need to do it in a way that provides a public good. And but I'll still get calls. You'll still you'll still get calls. I'm sure. That's true. That but, is true. But we have to. We we uh, you know as technology developers, I think that we have a responsibility to show what that public good is, beyond just uh, you know serving the the Palo Alto natives. And um, you know we what we want to do is build vehicles that can, for instance, do deliveries to food deserts uh, where people don't have access to, to grocery stores. And you can only do that in a way, you can only do that if that's cost effective. And, and that takes technological development. We have to, like you say, partner to get these vehicles out in a way uh, that also that, that shows their value, which means we, we do have to do it at incrementally at some scale. Um, but also, you know, on our side is responsible and, and does that safely. So I think it's important to have the dialogue. So um, we started, there's been so much talk today about equity and affordability. And so clearly just on the safety uh, measures and on the fact that people, you know, across the country spend more than 20% of their income, if you're a median income person on transportation, like those two imperatives to me say there's, there's a lot of good to be done in the transportation sector, right? It's a, it's a, it's an imperative. Uh, so then the question is, how do you make sure that uh, everyone benefits from it? And it is absolutely, I think that the, the structural systems, you know, you look at the transportation systems 
of the past, and they are exactly what got us into this problem. So how do we not, uh, you know, follow? How do we not fall into that trap again? And the only way I can think of doing it is exactly the way the mayor describes as partners. The only thing that I'd say that's that's kind of a lesson out of that is there are, you know, uh, there are over. 5,000 cities above uh, 15,000 people across the country. There are, there are lots of places for experimentation, and there are a lot of places to learn uh, incremental lessons that can be codified uh, across the country. So I would just say it's also, I think, a nice way for us to be thinking about cities as microcosms for innovation, and that that can happen in many places outside of where it currently is today. Yeah, Lenny, tell us how, talk to us about how that comes to the state level and how the governor's office is looking at that private-public partnership. Um, so to answer your question directly, technology is not moving too fast. And we certainly do not think that in the state of California, where we're the home of innovation, we're the home of venture capital, we're the home of where a lot of these ideas originate. Mm-hmm. And so the last thing we want to do is slow down innovation. But what we, and we don't begrudge the, the value creation that comes out of that either. If it's done in a way that is good for broader society and not about catch me if you can regulatory arbitrage, or something that is solely oriented to making a quick buck and then leaving. Mm -hmm. So what we're interested in is trying to encourage more of what is the best of the origins of venture and innovation, which is about public purpose. You're trying to solve a fundamental problem. That problem isn't just how to get wealthy. It's how to try and solve that problem. And we can help move that to something where we are incenting that kind of behavior. And so the thing that we need to do is ensure that our policy apparatus catches up with the technological innovation. And as the mayor said, we're only going to do that if we are innovating in the public sector and ensuring that we're working together, not at odds all the time to make sure that these things, that these things really work. And I'll give you two examples where I think that's going to be important in the state of California. Uh, One has to do with the future of work. And so a lot of the innovations that we're talking about, whether it's autonomous cars, robotics, more generally artificial intelligence, even just application of mobile technology are going to hit in California first. So we need to get way ahead of that, not to scare people that robots are going to eat your jobs, but to understand how we adapt to that environment. So as that technology develops, we have a a population that can benefit from that. More concretely, in the near term, I think we're having and will have a serious conversation with the digital platforms around where does the dividend from digital benefit go? Is it just to shareholders or is do you own your data? How do we think about the value of your privacy? How do we think about the opportunity to benefit from having your data be yours so you can move it elsewhere, not just be something that's owned by a particular platform? And so that conversation is something that will be front and center even before the longer term conversations about the future of work. Right. Did you meet Maya from Facebook? She's right here. Um, let's let's turn to the innovation part, to the, the for good part, because we are going to lose you. Right on time. Um, what are the what are the other imperatives? We talked about how this was in some ways a panel about this, these acute innovation needs and and clearly housing and equity and transportation have been first and foremost all day here today. What anybody can jump in here, but where do we need to start, Mayor? If you don't answer, I'm going to call on people. It's just we don't have this kind of time. Um. You know, one of the things that we were told um, about this wave of our economy was that we would all become specialists, that we would all be people that knew a lot about one little thing. And I think that that has hurt us because I think where we've erred is we have lost um, the understanding of the interconnectivity of everything. 
Uh, while you were off working on transportation solutions and you were off working on housing solutions, you did not talk to each other to discover that you were both screwing each other. Okay. And never mind climate change. Um, so, so this, I know it kind of hurts our heads and it's counter to the way that the economy has developed, but to move more aggressively into that space where we really look at the total picture and how our different problems are interacting against each other. Um, I think that is the only way we're going to actually um, accomplish that good part. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have enough photo sharing apps. I think we're good on that. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Now, back to our program. This does raise an interesting question for you, Kevin, actually, which is, um, you know, you talked about the, the, the time that people will get back. Some of that time, though, will be in their houses. Like, how do we address this idea that, that there are people who are living essentially parallel virtual lives within communities? As a mother of a 13-year-old, there is a special ring in hell for whoever invented Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. Um, They're not here, are they? Okay, good. Right. So, you know, how do you build community when some people are just going to well, get to stay in their lives and or their houses and play Fortnite? I mean, I, I think one of the... <laughs> Mine's 12. We'll talk. <laughs> one, of the, one of the really exciting things about robotics is that it it is a very physical thing, right? It's, um, it's not writing code uh, behind a screen necessarily. There's vehicles out there doing something interesting. You see uh, programs like First Robotics... Uh, training the next wave of, of uh, you know, it's like huge STEM um, uh, work. And um, that kind of thing is something that, that attracts people who might otherwise be playing video games. But I think ultimately uh, it, it really is people's choice to, to do what they're going to do with their time. I think if they have interesting things to do out in the space, if their spaces are uh, nice to live in, you know, as we see e-commerce uh, rising and stores going more and more online, what do we do with that space? Uh, how do we create um, sort of community spaces where we can all get together? Um, I think that's how we, we, you know, it's human connection, right? It's getting together and, and talking to each other and, and being outside and, and activities that are, that are real and physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, you know, from, from our perspective, when we've been thinking about these problems and how they do dovetail with other issues. So, um, you know, for instance, we believe that with, uh, you know, vehicles such as ours that will be shared, autonomous electric vehicles, uh, that will greatly reduce the need for parking over time as more and more people uh, move away from private car ownership. And we're already starting to see some of that, particularly in, in urban environments like San Francisco. Um, and with that, there's an ability to work with government and to work with communities to reclaim that space and make it a more inviting place that Kevin's talking about. And, and these are the types of policies that at the local level that you can begin to really you know, influence actions of the community, influence people to get back out into the community, and you provide them a, a, a welcoming space, a, a space where it's designed around them and designed perhaps to be more green and more accessible 
Um, I think these actions, uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of times I mention this and people tell me, oh, it's a very Pollyannish view of it. Um, but I think it's very, I mean, yes, it's optimistic, but I think that's part of what innovation and technology is about, is bringing a new optimism and a way to address issues in a new way that can uh, influence people and the decisions they make in a, in a positive direction. Stephen, I feel like I see you shaking your head just a tiny bit right there. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> I do that when I think, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and part of this was I, I'm just kind of running through the how much of this is a zoning problem. How much of this is – I mean, it, cities are like the ultimate ecosystem, uh, you know, where you're, you are having to connect all these disparate things, right? And so – uh, you know, if you're trying to be proactive about the way that you control that and you're having to deal with things like, you know, actually a lot of neighborhoods aren't that nice to be in and a park isn't going to get you there. It's a lot more systemic, right? And it's going to take a, a really a fundamental shift in the way that we're investing in cities to, to, to make that kind of shift work for everybody. Um, it's, you know, it is this like somehow we have to arm our cities with better decision-making tools, uh, and they have to be able to access those more quickly. And, and so the last thing I was shaking my head about was how how much data science has failed, actually, I think, both for the private sector, but especially for the public sector. Just as a uh, reminder, that's his whole job. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're, we're getting better at it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but mostly because of what the mayor was saying, because we, we aren't, we're thinking of this as specialists instead of as generalists. And so what What's the problem that we're trying to solve? And let's work backward into the data. Let's work backward into the structures that we can establish to better guide that. And it all starts with having a better uh, sense of what the real problem is and then, you know, kind of working backwards from there. And and all of us on the tech side are often kind of coming at it from the other direction. And so that's where the, the partnership part of this is is so critical. I mean, one thing I'd like to see is more innovation that's not designed around making people who went to the same Stanford fraternity or Harvard finals clubs lives easier and more convenient so that they can work longer. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, there are large populations, even in this state that are not benefiting from all of what's going on. We're sitting in the wealthiest state in the country in Silicon Valley and the poorest state in the central Valley, a hundred years, a hundred miles away. Why can't we have innovation that works for the, the population that is aging very rapidly in this country and in this state? Mm-hmm. Why can't we have innovation that is designed around making the person who's struggling to make ends meet? And whether that's in West Oakland or East Palo Alto or Stockton or Fresno or Riverside work, those are the kinds of innovations that we need. And I think there's uh, an opportunity to help encourage that. There's if most people who go into tech go into tech because they want to make the world a better place. They don't go in it because their answer is they want to they want to cash out on the first chance they can and then go play golf for the rest of their lives. So how do we encourage more of that to be part of the ethos of what tech for good can be? Robert, so practically, and this is actually one of our questions, which also include, by the way, Libby, you're awesome. Just as a comment on the little card I got. That's what it says. I, I hope that's not a question. Right? That's, that's not a question. Assertion, no, right? just a brief editorializing from the audience. That was mine. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is also one of our questions and mine, which is uh, practically speaking, how do you start this conversation? Your job is public policy at a tech company. You've had that job at other tech companies. Uh, Mayor Shafty, you have a chief technology officer. Like, How do these conversations start? Uh, you know, I'll my, come back to you and start with you, Robert. Yeah. From my end, it, it's it's the, one of the reasons that uh, I'm constantly uh, on an airplane somewhere. I think you need to to go in and and talk about 
who you are, right? Why you're here, what what you're doing. Um, it, to me, it, it's. I often tell this to my uh, my wife, who's also astounded that that people think I have smart things to say. Um, <laughs> that it's um, it, it, it's not magic, right? I mean, this is about um, to me a lot about how you relate to people and, and being decent and honest and transparent in what you're doing. And um, doesn't always mean you're going to agree. Doesn't mean that uh, things are easy. But um, you know, for me, my my whole um, experience has been. You go in and you talk to the people and you let them know this is this is my company, this is what I'm doing, uh, this is our vision, um, this is you know where we see things going. Now, the, the funny thing in the tech space is, is that changes, right? I might have that conversation in April, but by the time June rolls around, something has changed. Um, and so you have to kind of you ha- not kind of you have to keep up that dialogue. Uh, and so to me, it's 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 nothing fancy. You go in, and you talk about it. Um, but those conversations aren't always easy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there are, there are people that are either skeptical or they've heard things that um, you know make them frightened of what what particularly emerging technology in the transportation space is doing, or they're worried about about, about larger issues, about the systemic issues uh, that have been mentioned here. Um, and you try to give them a sense of where you think you fit in, uh, how you might address some of these issues, and and perhaps you know where you can help to build bridges amongst the other people in the space as well. Um, now that's not how everybody does it, but that's that's how I do it. It's why why you know some companies want me to represent them and others don't. Right? I mean, there are different ways to handle this. So, who for our policymakers here, for our, our public officials, uh, Lenny, who advises the government on technology? Who's the liaison for this? We're getting super tactical now. It's part of our therapy. Um, a large number of people. You know, we have the governor actually was the mayor of San Francisco and is deeply connected into that community. So you can bet he's got a lot of people sending him texts about what he should be doing about those topics. Mm-hmm. The the harder part is how do you translate that into an integrated approach to deal with it? And so um, and there's a big opportunity to do that. I think having a point of view in a place like California about how do we accelerate the development of technology and innovation for good is a really important issue, not just for California, but for the country. And so that's 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 the challenge. I mean, I would love to send him a text, but is there an office? You know, like, is there an official engagement strategy? There, there is a, there is an office, which is the office of business and economic development, which I oh, good. oversee. That's one. <laughs> and we are also creating, uh, it was announced in the, the budget, an office of, uh, digital innovation that is intended to help accelerate the speed with which government innovates, as the mayor was saying. Um, you can't have a government that's effective in this environment when the technology procurement cycle is longer than the technology cycle. So it would be helpful if we bring some of that innovation into government as well. And then, Mayor, how about you and your office, and then also how you balance that against all of the other needs of any city, let alone Oakland? Um, so I'll hit three things very quickly. One, we're very strapped in a city like Oakland. Just so you know that my budget is one eleventh the size of the budget of the city of San Francisco. One eleventh. Yes, Ed, one eleventh. Um, uh, secondly, um, I, I do want to commend organizations like Code for America. I feel like I met you through Code for America. I always blame Jen Polka for the fact that I am the mayor of Oakland because she was one of the first people that gave me the idea. Um, so I think, again, these organizations that are in that space are extremely exciting and necessary. Third, because of the 
pace of the procurement um, process, I've done what a lot of mayors have done, which has formed an independent nonprofit uh, in Oakland. It's called the Oakland Fund for Public Innovation. And because it's outside the government, uh, it gives us a space where we can move rapidly, we can iterate, we can, again, do crazy, stupid things. And if they work, then we bring them back into government. And so, for example, um, our cabin community model, which has been really effective at addressing street encampments, uh, is something that we entirely funded privately because when I first started telling my other public officials about it, they're like, what? You're going to put human beings in tough sheds? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, they, 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 there was no way they were going to let me do that. But we were able to raise the private money, demonstrate that it was phenomenally successful. We had amazing outcomes and it was very humane and dignified way to treat our fellow human beings um, because we had a place and a space outside of government to do to do the pilot, to do the test, and then to start scaling. And then the last thing I'll say, which is maybe not what you you wanted me to touch on, it is so important that we all have proximity to the people that we are trying to serve. Um, How many people in this audience have either given birth to a child or have witnessed a woman giving birth to a child? Good. I'm glad. Was it a pleasant experience? Um, It it, it's one of the most frightening, terrifying things that, that a person can go through. And when you've had that baby, you want the entire world to go down on its knees to make that child safe uh, and cared for, correct? Like there's, a, there's an instinct that comes out of you that is not to be believed. Um, a few months ago, a homeless woman in Oakland gave birth to her baby by herself in her car. And I have continually lost my mind over that fact that in the very wealthiest region in the whole, arguably in the whole world, that that is happening in our community. And so, um, and Justin from my office can tell you, we force ourselves to be in proximity, to spend time with our unhoused residents, to talk with them, to hear their life stories, to really be close to the people we are serving. We cannot be effective in creating good solutions if we just sit uh, in fancy panels and go on retreats together. We do have to be in community listening, not just talking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really know where to go from that. Um, <laughs> But luckily, we have no time left. Am I right? (laughs) Thank you, everyone, to our panel and for your excellent tactical questions. I know that went by fast, but thanks for coming today. And thank you, Molly, again for uh, for doing this. You know, I've been terrible at introducing our moderators, but but Molly has a rich history in this area. So from CNET to, to here. So thank you for being here. And thank you, all your panelists, for being here. Really appreciate it. So, so, so you know, we have a we have a little bit of uh, of activity left to go, and so what I want to do is kind of just uh, ask you one more question: Is if is this has your uh, kind of your opinion changed? And so, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you to kind of uh, talk to me about this idea of innovate for good. But before we do that. 
I, I want to present an award, and if if some of uh, um, our USF staff could actually get the awardee and make sure he's he's in the room. Um, <laughs> Every year, um, as a part of this conference, we like to give an award uh, for leadership in uh, social innovation and, and social thought. And Dean Davis, as we began, talked about Orrin Harari, a professor of management here at University of San Francisco, who uh, really emblemized this idea of innovation and bridge theory to practice in this area of conscious leadership and social innovation. Uh, and last year, we gave this award to Joel uh, Solheim, CEO of Ben & Jerry's. And before that, uh, we gave it to a gentleman named uh, David Batstone, who happens to be on the USF faculty and has, has built a career based on um, solving uh, uh, refugee crises and uh, human trafficking um, in, in terms of on a global scale. Um, and this year, as you've noticed, we focused on this idea of how do we solve some of the urban challenges that our cities face? How do we face and how do we innovate that from a finance standpoint, from a philanthropic standpoint, from a technology standpoint? And so this year, we have opportunity to give someone an award to someone who's really built a career um, in that area. And we probably did not sing his praises enough because it's been multi-sector. It's been cross-sector, and he's still doing it. Uh, so I asked a couple questions to people that know this gentleman, and some of the things I got were also uh, full of integrity, class act, wonderful human being. So without further ado, I want to invite forward uh, Mr. Maurice Jones to the stage so we can give you uh, the Harari Award uh, for Conscious Leadership. Thank you, Maurice. And I, let me get your award. Uh, <laughs> Which did arrive. <laughs> thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, and thank you all for uh, that uh, kind reception. Conscious Leadership and Social Innovation Award. Um, I'm not worthy of this. That's, uh, that's what I would tell you. I used to work in Washington, D.C. Um, I was the Deputy Secretary at HUD. Um, every morning... Uh, before I would go into work, I would get up and go running down Wisconsin Avenue. If you know Washington, D.C., I used to run past the National Cathedral. Beautiful. First day I went running, and this was April, I uh, saw this gentleman in a, um, in a bus stop. And as I got closer, I realized it was a homeless guy. Um, as I get closer, I'm running. I'm terrible as, as a runner. He looks up at me and he goes, is that the best you can do? <laughs> And then he turned his, turned his back on me, right? He was so disgusted that I was so bad. <laughs> I ran on. This went on for months. I, I, um, in fact, about a month in, he saw me coming and, uh, he said, okay, you're doing better. Um, for, for lack of a, let's call him John. John and I became, um, acquaintances. I, I knew that John had been homeless in New York and Baltimore and now D.C. Um, I knew that John didn't want to go into a shelter. I told him about my family, etc. One cold morning, I got up, same routine. It was in December, and I ran to that bus stop, and there was no John. And I never saw John again. 
You know, I, I don't know whether John, he may have gone to Richmond. <laughs> he may have gone into a shelter. But he also may have died from frostbite. It was below freezing. The day that I really deserve this will be the day, well, let me put it this way. I have a 16-year-old daughter. The first day that I saw her in that bus stop would have been the last day. Right? I would have stopped everything. And I would have done everything to get her into housing. The day that I deserve this award will be the day that I see in the face of John, the face of my daughter. That's our invitation. What we need is to be able to see the face of our loved ones and everybody in need. If we can do that, we'll all really deserve this. So I'll accept it, but I'll accept it knowing that you probably just didn't have anybody else to give it to. (laughs) You know what? I don't know that we're going to eclipse that that call to action, but one of the things I do want to emphasize is that we spend a lot of time, and this year and last year, um, I've had the opportunity to be at University of San Francisco and one of the things that I, conversations I've had with Dean Davis and, and my faculty colleagues is this idea of, of urban sustainability, that it really is about um, this, sustaining our economies, uh, sustaining our environment, but also addressing some of the social justice issues uh, that we face. And just to hear uh, Mayor Schaff and, and Molly and uh, all these panelists and all of you really talk about your kids and sustaining it for them and for your, your fellow human beings, I think is a great call to action. And I think that's one of the, the great takeaways that we can hear from, from Maurice, as well as from every panelist who is here uh, and investing in uh, our future. And, and so I, I want to leave with that, but I also want to leave with two uh, kind of takeaways that, that I heard, particularly from this last panel, but I heard echo through. And this is this idea of first of, of partnership um, and, and making space uh, for dialogue. And for what I heard from almost every panelist was it wasn't just dialogue, that it was connecting and listening. So, and I think that we got this from Maurice too, is that uh, he is a listener. And I, I, that's one of the things that I took away from the conversations of people. And we, we had other options, by the way, but, but, and, and, but we did hear that as a leader... <laughs> As a leader, uh, you can be, uh, you need to be a great listener. Uh, to create change, you have to be listening to the people around you and to be attentive uh, to the needs of the people around you, to shape uh, what is livability, what is a sustainable urban environment. And, and I think the second takeaway I, I think is really important and again goes back to the, the call to action that uh, Mr. Jones kindly gave us, which is uh, let's be tactical. Let's do something. Let's leave uh, this room and uh, make something happen. So with that, rather than actually go back to any interactive poll, I'd like you to find something something to write on, whether or not it's your, your digital device or, a, or a, a tacit piece of paper. And, and my students know that I do this to them all the time. I want us to actually do, uh, to, to write something down. Uh, and I want us to write down, you know, uh, Stephen actually, Stephen Hardy from My Sidewalk actually said something here that really resonated to me. He said, uh, 
well, can we do these little micro experiments? Um, can we, can we take, be innovators even on our, even on our own block? What can we do to innovate for good? So I'd like to say that we're all innovators in this room, that each of you are doing something to create change and to innovate for good. So what I'd like you to do with our, our couple minutes remaining is to write down, what, what is that one thing that you're going to do tomorrow to start innovating for good? So let's take a couple minutes and do that, and we'll bid us adieu.